Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. I do want to thank uh, Lawrence and Nate and Jeff. Where's Lawrence? And uh, Nate and Jeff and Doug for being here for our forum and uh, very much appreciate you men. I know you better than the people in the church know you, but it's been such, a, such an encouragement to me, a great encouragement, especially this last year, so thank you. Um, and then I want to pay tribute to Doug. You know how in, in Scripture, it's very personal, but when we go to worship, it's impersonal. I want to be very personal and say that for, uh, I would say, over a quarter of a century, Doug and his wife and his children have been a great encouragement to me. And um, I want to thank God for that. I want to thank Doug and Nancy. Uh, I remember first seeing uh, Doug's writing, first at my father's house on the table, and then at my father-in-law's house. They, they had a similar uh, commitment to Doug from the very beginning. And... Um, it's, it's rare to have a man who uh, is willing to be bloody. This is what Dave Carell, Pastor Carell, always says about Doug. He says he's bloody. And I have only once paid tribute from the pulpit in Bloomington. I've only, I've only done it twice. And the other time was about 22 years ago. 21 years ago, and that was when we had another speaker, and that speaker was also bloody. We had invited them to town and asked them to go on the campus of Indiana University and address the issue of biblical sexuality, creation sexuality. And when I asked, uh, the speaker said, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do that. I'm tired of doing that. I always get bloodied. It's evangelicals that, that give me the most blood when I do that. I don't want to go on the campus and do that. And so I said, grow up and do what God has gifted you to do. Now, I could say that to this person because they were an old family friend. And they used to sit at the table with my dad and fight. My dad would have arguments and... Uh, and it was very sweet. Um, so when I introduced this person at, at the church formerly known as Prince here in town, <laughs> um, I started crying. And I said, I want to introduce to you one of my heroes. And uh, over the course of that person's lifetime, again and again and again, they took stands that were against the grain of the biblical church in America. This, this is probably one of the first people in this country to stand up for the Palestinian Christians. And in a dispensational context in America, that was a very gutsy thing to do. The difference between this person and Doug is that this was a woman, and Doug is a man. 
and the woman was Elizabeth Elliot. And so I'm thankful for Elizabeth Elliot, and I'm thankful for Doug Wilson. I love them both. Doug's always embarrassed about how often I tell him and his wife that I love them, but you, you know what I'm like, you know. <laughs> Sleeve on the heart. <laughs> All right. God bless you, brother. Let's open our Bibles to Galatians 3. Oh, the other thing I wanted to say is, hey, thank you for your work for the conference. There's no way to thank all of you specifically. But boy, what a sweet thing. I mean, just everything. Everything. So thank you for your humility, for your hard work. For It was so, so nice to see you serve the body of Christ. So whatever your work was, thank you so much. Okay? All right. Let's stand as we read the word of God. This is the word of God, and it is eternally true. Galatians 3, 1 to 5. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes... Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. I'm not sure which torments me more, and I'm choosing my words carefully, the personal sins that you blush about in the shower in the morning, or my cold heart towards the lost, and my unwillingness to be salt and light. Sins of commission always stink more than sins of omission, but they shouldn't. They should stink equally. And I would put right at the top, of the stinkers in my soul, I would put my unwillingness to love Bloomington. I can't tell you how many times I felt guilty about not preaching on the campus. I can't tell you how many times I have uh, felt guilty. That's such a pathetic statement. Been convicted of sin for not preaching on campus. I can't tell you how many times I have been aware of my sin of not going on campus and helping you. Uh, I know how hard it is. I went to (laughs) UW-Madison. And then you go to my next-door neighbors. I was talking to my next-door neighbor that just built a house in in about, I think it took him three days. (laughs) And... uh, After I got over not being able to cut his grass anymore, (laughs) Um, we've gotten to be friends, and he told me about two weeks ago, he said, you know, 
he said, uh, do you mind if I drive up on your grass because my driveway was just put in and I need to, um, I need to take my weight equipment into the basement. I said, weight equipment? He said, yeah, all the machines. And all of a sudden I looked at him. I'd been looking at him a lot, but all of a sudden I looked at him. He was like, he's like, you know, he had this like humongous chest, humongous shoulders. His like body was like that. And I had never seen it, you know? And I said, whoa, I'd never looked at you before. Found out he's been lifting weights since he was 14, and now he's like 48 probably. Then I went in his basement, and it was like 20 weight machines of every variety. I think there's one that attaches to your eyebrows so that you, <laughs> your eyelids don't sag as you get older, you know? And so we talked about that for a couple of minutes. I said, yeah, I'd go ahead, drive on the grass. And then he said, and I'm bringing Jesus next week. Well, he knows I'm a pastor. And I know that he's not disrespectful. He's a gentleman. And so I looked at him with this blank look on my face. I said, you're bringing Jesus. He said, yeah, I have Jesus, and I'm going to be bringing him over here. Well, there was nothing for it. I just had to say, I'm sorry. I don't understand. And he said, well, I have a 600-pound Jesus. We're going to be bringing him in a couple days. Well, Jesus is there now. And I looked at him, I said, well, you know, everybody will know where the Roman Catholic lives and where the Presbyterian lives. (laughs) (laughs) And Jesus is there. And let me tell you something. I find it an unbelievable relief to have a Roman Catholic idolater living next to me because that is so much better than the corrosive pride of the academy. Eh? Are you with me? Do you know what I'm talking about? And yet I look at my relationship with my neighbors um, and I think you'll all agree about me, and I don't know about yourself, that we don't love God as we should, and we don't love our neighbors as we should. Right? If you've been at the conference, I can't imagine how you're not struggling with guilt. And it's not false guilt. There is such a thing, but this isn't false guilt. We don't love God as we ought, and we don't love our neighbor as we ought. Now, how would we respond to that? Well, as many of us as there are, there are that many responses, right? And so some of us will, you know, just put it out of our minds, you know, we'll, you know. Make a trip out to Rice's to buy meat. You know, I mean, that, that relieves it, right? Others of us will, you know, maybe get up and make breakfast for our wife tomorrow, and that's the end of our repentance. She's a neighbor, sort of, you know. Some of us will um, we'll take steps. We'll pick up a hitchhiker. We'll talk to our hairdresser. We will initiate conversations with people in the public spaces we are. And we'll begin to ruminate. You know, that's what a cow does, right? 
we'll begin to ruminate on how we reclaim the public square and our witness there because the fact is none of us live in a public square. We all live in privacy. We work in privacy. We live in privacy. There are very few public squares left, you know, and those that are 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 tightly cosseted, okay? One thing I know all of us will do is all of us will be convinced that what we need is more effort, less shame for the gospel, more love, and we will approach it through what we will think of as self-discipline. And the reason is, all of us are convinced that although we came to Christ completely because of God, that we must return to him day by day by ourselves. Right? And that where we see sin, that's the precise place we need to focus and we need to tough it out. Because God won't accept us tomorrow on the basis of what happened yesterday. We need to do something today, right? Now, if you were a Galatian, what is it that you'd do? Well, you just add a little bit to the work of Christ, and that means circumcision. But, you know, we've read Galatians. We've heard sermons on it, and so, you know, nobody's... Even in his wildest days, Chris Connell's not trying to get us to go back to that, all right? He may want to control our diets, right? You want to, well, well, you used to, didn't you? Am I crazy? I thought I remembered. I thought he was something like blood and all that, that sort of stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. all right, all right. Yeah, yeah, I know. Okay, okay. And so we've learned our lesson well, right? We know that baptism has replaced circumcision. We disagree over in where there's continuity and discontinuity and that replacement, right? And so we're not in danger of becoming Judaizers, right? But we are legalists. We are tight because we believe God is tight. And we think it's a miracle we were saved, but sanctification is our job. Justification was his, sanctification is ours. And listen, this is the normal state, I believe, of Christians. To complete in their own strength by the law what God began by grace. And so... I want to tell you, you will not love your neighbor unless God gives you love. You will not pick up a hitchhiker unless God gets you to pick up a hitchhiker. I will not pick up a hitchhiker unless God gives me the grace to pick up a hitchhiker. Now you say, well, what's this about hitchhiking? I say, I have an old hitchhiker. And so that's how I process my love for my neighbors through guys at the side. I did something I haven't done since I was 23. I hitchhiked last week from Stevens Honda 
down to the Sunoco truck stop on 37. None of you picked me up. I was hoping one of you would come along. I was walking. I was sweat dripping off of me. You won't pick up hitchhikers. You will not speak to your neighbor. You won't do that unless God helps you. Now, with that is the introduction to what God has, has said to us in our text. Let me make three simple points about the text. Number one, I want you to notice the language. We cannot be hard enough on the issue of language today. I want you to notice that the book of Galatians is not a Facebook discussion. Now, how do you know that? You foolish. You imagine if, if I were to talk to your friends on your Facebook page that way. So you've got, you foolish, who has bewitched you? And, you know, we, we just trip right over bewitched, but what does bewitched mean? It means under the control of evil spirits. That's what it means. You imagine saying this on Facebook. And so your ears are tuned to the discourse that is most common in your life, which is Facebook and Twitter. Do you understand this? And you are opposed to any expression that doesn't conform to, and I don't want to dignify it with the word, but the etiquette of Facebook. And that means that your expressions are devoid of faith, of truth, and certainly of discipline. If a man spoke to his wife or his son this way, you would say, and if he did it more than once, you would say that that man is what? You would say that the man is committing emotional Abuse, yeah. Now, I'm not wanting to trivialize emotional abuse. There are many men who live under the abuse of a woman that is mind-boggling. Okay. Many women (laughs) who live under the abuse of a husband that's mind-boggling. So I don't want to trivialize the abuse of a marriage or of a daughter that grows up under a father who is relentless in his demeaning of that daughter. You can see it in adult women just like that. That's awful. But do you understand that the Apostle Paul loves the Galatians? Can't you tell that this foolish and this bewitched are a function of his love? Can you tell the difference in tones of voice? You know, the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians commits sin after sin after sin according to Facebook and according to the philosophers. He's ad hominem. All over the place he's ad hominem. He calls them names. He uses sarcasm. He he makes allusions if It's actually more intense than illusions, but to certain parts of the body, 
you know? And I want you to see that when he says, you foolish Galatians, this is the love of the Apostle Paul, and this is the love of every pastor. This is the love of every mother with her children. This is the love of every father. It's the love of every teacher. Do you understand this? If you do not rebuke your children, your flock, you don't love them. The Apostle Paul is not doing this to be abusive. He doesn't want to appear in a Ron Enroth book. You know, churches that abuse. He's doing this because the Galatians are so deeply entrenched in their idolatry, legalism, in their, in their error, that he has to hit them hard. And so he says, you foolish Galatians. And he goes on, he says, who has bewitched you? And then see in verse 3, are you so, and that's for emphasis, are you so foolish? And so listen, if you were to talk about what the failures of pastors are today, and you are a normal evangelical, normal Bible-believing Christian, the first thing you'd trot out is pastors that demand that people respect them and treat them with honor and pastors that are pompous you know what's right that you know that puff out their chest and you know they want everybody to move aside when they walk down the wall the hallway I mean right and this is the error of pastors that we are constantly reminded of constantly hear warning against and if there's a book written it's written against that Be honest and admit that this language, if you didn't know it was the Apostle Paul, it was in the book of Galatians, and you read it, you would think there is an abusive pastor. The danger today is not pastors who are walking down the hallway demanding that everybody, you know, move aside and kowtow to them. You know, haven't you noticed that on the part of Pastor Max? Everywhere he goes, he demands that you serve him. (laughs) And you know how Stephen Baker is. You know, that's why we keep him in his office as much as possible, right? (laughs) Now, of course, you know, nobody accuses them of it, but... Oh, yeah. I do get accused. And you know, sometimes I do ask you to serve me. Yeah, yeah, I do. I think I did that to you this morning. You know, I asked you to come up with the name and the telephone number. Now listen, the main problem in the church today is that pastors don't love their people enough to abuse them. But not to abuse them, to rebuke them. That's the real danger. Because the real danger is the wolf. And a pastor who's so fearful about how he's going to play in Peoria or on Facebook that he would never say, you foolish, are you so foolish, you're bewitched, is a pastor who has no love for his sheep. Because the dangers of your life are very, very serious. And there's absolutely no way that you can deal with danger without intensity. And intensity is not just like body, it's language. If you grew up without a father who, never, who ever said anything similar to this, your father did not love you and his discipline of you. Now, some of you know that 
I have a mouth that sins. And that I say things that are sinful. And unfortunately, or by my sin, I do this fairly regularly. All right? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about where I will, you know how I have a couple of times recently minced oaths in the pulpit? You know, that's sin. I'm not talking about cases where I will say something about somebody that's not present that I shouldn't say. I'm not talking about sin. But you know when it's sin. So don't call proper rebukes and admonitions and warnings from those who are over you, whether fathers and mothers or pastors, elders, and Titus too. Do not call it sin. It is not What you should do is you should do everything you can to encourage that kind of admonition from those who are above you. The worst thing possible for the Galatians is that this would have read, you Galatians, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed, the only thing I want to find out, I mean, Facebook would tone the whole thing down. Yeah, he wouldn't say, this is the only thing I want to find out from you. I have one question for you. No, no, no. Dear Galatians, sometimes I wonder whether, you know, and you don't want that. You want leadership. You must have leadership because if you don't have leadership, you're at the mercy of the wolves. Yesterday I was talking to a man. He asked me why I write, and he mentioned a couple things I write. And I said, well, I, I wrote that because that man's a feminist. He said, no, he's not. He said, he's not a feminist at all. I said, oh, yeah, yes, he is a feminist. No, he's not. I've read him. And I said, what do you think I said? I said, yes, you have read, but you have not understood anything you've read. Now think about how that, that would go over on Facebook. <laughs> Listen, if you're going to be protected, you have to have leadership. And you cannot emasculate leadership, render it impotent by your Facebook standards and what you think should and shouldn't be said. I'll admit, I'm an East Coast man in the Midwest, and that is hard. I know that. But leadership, and I would exhort you who are fathers and husbands, there needs to be faith in your leadership. If you're always playing for the approval of your wife and how you raise your children, you're dead in the water. You think the Apostle Paul was writing this so that his wife would approve? It's a trick question. (laughs) Okay, so that's the first thing. You foolish Galatians, are you really so foolish who has bewitched you? And I could take you to Scripture um, in Jeremiah 5.21. Now hear this, O foolish and senseless people who have eyes but do not say, but have ears who do not hear. And you say, well, yeah, but that's God talking to his people. And I say, through someone, through Jeremiah, how do you think they liked Jeremiah? But everything's in Scripture, you know, we cut slack to everything in Scripture. It's like, you know, Scripture can do everything, and our pastors can do nothing, (laughs) you know. But I think that we, as pastors, should resemble what is in scripture, not 
just doctrinally, but affect, posture, tone, vocabulary. I don't know. It's probably crazy, but that's what I think. Now, you may say, well, we're dealing with wicked people, and I would point you to Luke 24, 25 to 27, which is a precious text to many of us. But we probably don't notice something about it. Jesus is on the road to Emmaus, and he's talking to his disciples. And he said to them, beginning with verse 25, O foolish men. And then he says, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. And listen, that is constant in the Gospels. Jesus is rebuking the disciples constantly. And you know, we're so squirrely that our response to that is always to say, well, that's Jesus. But I thought evangelicals wanted to be Christ-like. You know what I'm saying? Would you stop saying that Jesus can do things that we can't do? It is true. I have not yet been able to still a storm. But when it comes to standing for God, when it comes to being faithful and guarding the good deposit and guarding the souls under our care, we must not submit to the Facebook culture. We must not do it. All right, so that's the tone, the vocabulary. Second, what is the ground of Paul's argument? And this is interesting. Notice what he says. He says, this is the only thing that I want to find out from you. So this is like the husband or the wife saying to their spouse, okay, I got one question for you. And here's the question. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now we know what the answer is because in verse 3 we see that he goes on and answers it having begun by the Spirit. So yes, they receive the Spirit by hearing with faith, not through the flesh, not through the law. It's very interesting that if you look at that verse, that verse is, um, it's dangerous. And it's very dangerous for the Apostle Paul to ask the question. Because that question is not a, a doctrinal declaration, you know? It's, it, it's, it's not a formulation. It's not a, uh, a syllogism. It's a question. It's interlocution. You know, it's, it's, it's dialogue. It's, and what he's asking is he's asking those he's disciplining to give him an answer. Now, you know that's a very dangerous thing to do, don't you? If you're rebuking somebody, you don't want to ask them a question in the middle of it because if their pride is hurt, what are they going to do? They're going to do one of two things. They're either going to refuse to answer, they're going to sit there and steam, or their answer is going to be a lie, right? And this answer is subjective. It's not an objective. What's one plus one? Well, two, you know. Either I won't answer or I'll say, well, two, you know. No, no. He's saying, when you began, when you came to Christ, when you took your first steps of faith, what I want to know is, 
Did you receive the Holy Spirit, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? So what we see here is that we have two things in opposition to each other. We have by the law, the works of the law, and we have by faith. And they can't match, can they? Huh? And so you have a choice. Now, you know that the prosecuting attorney should never, ever ask a question, what? That he doesn't know the answer to. Does the Apostle Paul know the answer to this question? He knows the answer. Why? Because he was there when the baby was born. God used him to birth the baby, meaning the faith of the Galatians. And if we go to Acts chapter 13 and read about the birth of faith, this is what we read. Paul's speaking, and he says, Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, and that does not exclude women. He uses it inclusively for men and women. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. And that's the experience of every single one of us here this morning that walks by faith. We despaired of honoring God. We looked inside of ourselves and we saw inside of me dwells no good thing. None of us started by keeping God's law. That's not how we came to believe in Jesus. We didn't come to believe in Jesus by keeping the law. We came by hearing the proclamation of Christ's righteousness. Not ours, but Christ's. And what a breath. It was breath of fresh air. What a relief. What liberty to realize that it is God's purpose to save sinners and that the righteousness of Christ is placed to our account, right? Now, let me ask you this question. I have only one question for you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? In other words... Regeneration, justification, the beginning of the Christian life is by faith in the blood of Christ, in the work of Christ, the completed work of Christ. But now, got to tough it out. You know, Martin Luther said that the life of a Christian is a life of repentance. You know, I got to stir up my repentance. I've got to make myself good enough to deserve the grace that I have been given. Isn't that how we all think? Come on, be, admit it. You have seen how the very sins that you said no to in the first blush of your gratitude and love for Jesus Christ have now come back into your life and you're in bondage 
Tell me the truth. This is the life of Christians. The lust that for years, you remember what Dunn says, right? Wallowed in a score. Wilt thou forgive that sin? I repented for a couple years, but 20 years I've wallowed in it. And so you think, well, if, if I can only stop that sin, then I can come back to Jesus Christ. I can pray. If I could just go for a day without doing that, then I can be free to pray again. And this is exactly what the Judaizers were doing in the church. It's the same thing. What they were saying is, look, yeah, grace is nice and all that, but, you know, you need to cut your flesh. And that's what diets are. I mean, you know, Adam, I'm thankful that you exhort me to lose weight. I should lose weight. I'm not saying diets aren't good, all right? But think about your diet. How much of it is a concern that is proportionate to the fact that you're going to die anyhow? (laughs) And how much of it is wanting to present an appearance that has some approximation of what you think godliness should be in America in 2014, which is decidedly not Rubenesque? See, people, homeschooling curriculum, which church you go to, what diet you observe, how you nurse, how many children you have, are you with me? And it's like we are so busy cutting our flesh that we have forgotten that we began by grace and we're going to end by grace. We're not going to end by works of the law. Works of the law are not going to make us more acceptable to God. The one who makes us acceptable to God is Jesus Christ. And his righteousness, it bears no resemblance to what the whole, most holy Christian who has ever lived was able to present to God. Do you understand that? It's categorically different. You know, I remember when I went in the ministry and I was in a hospital room, because that's what pastors do, we go in hospital rooms, right? So I was in a hospital room, there was this guy, and I think I've told you this story before, right? But there was this guy in the bed, he was older, he was getting near death, And I had been told that what I should do is always place myself in a position where the person that is in the hospital bed does not have to move their head to see me. And in this particular case, that meant that I got down on my knees next to the bed so that they could look at me without having to have pain of movement or anything like that, right? So later that week, I got a call from some impressionable older woman And she was just going on and on about how godly I was because she saw me on my knees next to a hospital bed praying. And you know how people will attribute to you acts of righteousness and you'll know what your motive was. And it's appalling. It's horrible. You have to give it up. I'm not saying give up being fruitful. I'm not saying give up doing good works, but there's a huge difference between the man who loves God and fails in the right direction, 
which is about as much as you can say for our good works, and the man who is intense and keeping track of himself every minute of every day and of his wife and of his children and, by the way, of whether his pastor is in the office or not. So the answer to the question is we receive the Spirit by hearing with faith, right? The ground of Paul's argument is their experience. He proclaimed the gospel to them. He told them that everyone who believes is freed from all things, and then he said, from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. You cannot come righteously to the cross of Jesus Christ. You can't do it. And you cannot return to that cross righteously. Every approach to God requires the completed work of Jesus Christ. Every minute step in sanctification and you becoming holy requires the work of God. It's grace. Okay? Okay? Yes, you are weak. Yes, you are capable of an unbelievable amount of bondage. Yes, the inclinations of your heart are often very wicked. Yes, yes, God is not surprised by this. And that's why sanctification, you becoming holy, you producing fruit, is a gift of God as is justification. You must rely on God to put your sins to death. You may not return to the law with an expectation that what began by grace is going to be continued by the law. Now, finally, what is the occasion of Paul's argument? Well, (laughs) the occasion of Paul's argument is the occasion I spoke of at the beginning of today where I talked about how when we go through a weekend like this, we see how sinful we are and how loveless we are. In other words, the occasion of Paul's argument is the weakness of the life of a Christian. The weakness which is the constant or the steady state of the believer, this side of heaven. Remember that little ditty that I teach you? The Christian desires three things with regard to sin. Justification, that it does not condemn, sanctification that it does not reign, and and glorification that it may not be. The Christian desires three things with regard to sin. Justification that it does not condemn, sanctification that it doesn't reign, but it's not pitter-patter, it's R-E-I-G-N, it means rule, (laughs) and glorification what? That it won't be! It won't be. Can you imagine what a relief it is for the Christian to die? Why are you laughing? Because you've never heard that before, have you? Glorification that it will not be. And our sin will not cease to exist until heaven. Let me uh, bring it to a conclusion and, and so, okay, let me, uh, 
let me say this. Um, There are all kinds of ways that religious leaders try to sell you on the idea that you can do what uh, uh, that famous Christian preacher known, known as Jim Morrison told us we can do. All right? Of the doors. Right? There are many, many publishing company, radio station, Pentecostal, charismatic, reformed, campus, it, it doesn't matter the, the, the denomination, it doesn't matter the organization, all of them have this plan for you to reach that state that the doors referred to as break on through to the other side. Remember that song? Any of you remember? Tell me you're this old, okay? All right. And there is no such thing as breaking through to the other side until death. Here in this life, we will have many trials and tribulations. Okay? Listen to Luther on this. He says, since the devil has this uncanny ability to make us believe a lie, until we would swear a thousand times it were the truth, we must not be proud, but walk in fear and humility and call upon the Lord Jesus to save us from temptation. Now, I like that, right? You like that? Unbelievability to make us believe a lie, but listen to what he says next. Although I am a doctor of divinity and have preached Christ and fought his battles for a long time, I know from personal experience how difficult it is to hold fast to the truth. I cannot always shake off Satan. I cannot always apprehend Christ as the scriptures portray him. Sometimes the devil distorts Christ to my vision. But thanks be to God who keeps us, who keeps us, God who keeps us in his word, in faith, and in prayer. Now you know why I love Luther, right? Isn't he helpful? He's so helpful. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we are your weak, weak, sinful children, but we do live by faith. And Father, we cling to you, to your Son, to your Spirit. We pray now as we come to this table that you will give us faith. We pray, Father, that we will be done with our works righteousness, that we will not trust in ourselves and in the works of the law, but in the blood and righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.